and Holly Headley. St. Paul's United Methodist Church in Ordinary Life. So, um, I, I know that I have um, not really consulted you about this. I should. <laughs> You want to tell me what we're talking about this coming Sunday? We're persevering in talking about these morality teachings in the writing called Matthew, and we're up to one uh, that ostensibly is about adultery, popular mm -hmm. topic, <laughs> but it's really about what it means to be faithful in human relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, it, it, by the way, this is a parenthesis. If there's a, if there's a space in our time Sunday, I might resurrect something that George Carlin did on the Ten Commandments. Mm. Oh, you've you've talked about this before. Reminds me. It's been a long, long time before ago. Uh -huh. but George you want to Carlin, save it for Sunday? Okay. Oh, yeah, I think I will. George Carlin, in, <laughs> okay. in essence, and I may not do it. It may not fit. But yeah. George Carlin, in essence, reduced um, the Ten Commandments to one. Mm. Tell the truth and don't steal. Yeah. And keep your religion to yourself. <laughs> In one more. <laughs> That's one more. Keep your religion to yourself. Yeah. But it's all one sentence. It's a he, it's a he, sentence he, divided he, by commas. <laughs> added that. Yeah. Well, and, and, and I wrote some today, actually, um, yeah. not a lot, but I I've really been struggling with this um, because um, I want what you and I do in ordinary life to be attractive to people. I want people to come both virtually now and when, it, when it's possible to come in, in real time and to enjoy the experience and to invite their friends to come. And uh, we all flourish as a result mm -hmm. of what we're, we're teaching. That's what I want. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's worked on me for the last 22 years. Yeah, and, and, I'm, <laughs> I, and I'm grateful for that because when you really get down to it, and here's the dicey part, this, these teachings are hard. Yeah. I, I, was, I was reading what we're up to for this, this week, and uh, this, this is the morality teaching in which Jesus says, if your right hand offends you, cut it off. Mm -hmm. If your right eye offends you, claw it out. Mm -hmm. And you begin to wonder how in the world this guy got any followers <laughs> at all. <laughs> a lot of because, one, a lot of one-eyed, one-handed people following him. <laughs> you know where Captain Crook bought his hook? From uh, where? The second hand store. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so okay. really, seriously, uh, 
Jesus never meant that to be taken seriously. I think I, <clears throat> I told you that when I was in a seminary, in the seminary, a fellow student whom I did not know I knew of um, took this passage literally and oh. cut his hand off with a bandsaw. Oh, Bill, that's yes. that's awful. And well, it is awful. I'm assuming he was also placed in an institution where he received psychiatric help or was he did he continue his ministry? He was no longer in the seminary after that. Mm. Hmm. He was clearly mm. mentally unbalanced. Well, that's you bring up, you know, you brought this point up so many times about um, essentially how do we take this seriously and not literally and what do literalists do with with verses like this? Gouge out your right eye. I'm, I'm looking, I have that in my window open uh, or my computer window open, Eugene Peterson's version of this segment. And, um, you know, it says, you have to choose to live one-eyed or else be dumped on a moral trash pile. <laughs> mm-hmm. And in Peterson's, uh, in Peterson's translation is where I got the title for this week's talk, which is, mm-hmm. uh, let's not pretend this is easier than it is. Right. Yeah, because in, in many ways, we're all living one-eyed. And I, and I wonder if that sort of one-eyedness isn't about training our eye toward what is most important. Being single-focused, but not single-minded. I don't know how to differentiate those two. Yeah, and the... the Another difficulty I think here is in talking about um, the importance of being aware and alert and educated and amassing information and knowledge and being willing to take the leap into wisdom and understanding can sound elitist Mm -hmm. and judgmental. Uh, And yet the fact is, it's a fact that we live in a culture where perhaps half of the adult population is run by ignorance and fear Mm -hmm. instead of uh, a a thoughtful uh, commitment to... um, better things. I don't know how else to say it. Just what's playing out in the political realm right now in trying to um, say that the election was a fraudulent thing is, is scary to a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. You know, later, I'm in, in each of these sort of teachings, there is a direct link to um, the Eightfold Path, I think, you know, right livelihood comes up right now for me um, to create your life in a way that honors all other life um, in a way that has Mm -hmm. dignity and respect and, Mm -hmm. and, and love for all other life forms, which means that you won't see debase someone else's dignities enough to quote unquote, cheat on them or adulterate against them. But Um, The other part that I'm sort of thinking about is that later on um, in Peterson's translation, it just says, in a word, what I'm saying is grow up. 
Mm-hmm. And we've talked a lot about um, Amir Ku's book around growing up and establishing an adult faith. And on the one hand, we look at these and we go, well, duh. Yeah, of course we know that we shouldn't cheat on our spouse. But a lot of people do. <laughs> Even while saying, I know I shouldn't cheat on my spouse. And so as you, you know, as you're sort of saying, there's so much of our society that operates with, uh, we operate in a double bind in our own life, in our very own body. I know I'm not supposed to do this, but I do it anyway. I know I'm not supposed to say this, but I say it anyway. Where we mm-hmm. seem in that double bind with ourselves so frequently. Mm-hmm. So what is the trick to growing up? Well, I think one answer that I would have for that is to commit to living the examined life. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the best pieces of advice I got from one of my teachers, Carlisle Marty, was he said, keep somebody in your life that you tell the absolute truth to about everything. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I can tell you that I have not always done that in all eras of my own life. And where I've not done that, I've paid a price for it. If we have people in our lives that we can say what is true for us, which is why I think it's helpful to stay in a therapeutic relationship or in a relationship with a spiritual director, is that you have somebody that you can just clean the table off with you know just say this is what this is what's going on with me this is how i feel um mm-hmm. i've mentioned to you before that you know my my spiritual director cuts me absolutely no slack and i think that in the long run is a very helpful thing because i know that she loves me i love her and um um she just has this uncanny ability to cut through the crap and get right to the heart of the matter. And so, you know, to answer your question about why do we do this, it's because we don't examine our, our inner lives and we don't acknowledge how often we are run by fear. And when we are, Mm -hmm. then our our souls get misshapen and our lives get misshapen. I remember a number of years ago when I was looking at this particular passage, it just so happened that um, it was around Super Bowl time. And I'm going to say that this was maybe 10 years ago. Uh-huh. Maybe. And okay. there was an ad on the Super Bowl uh. for a website. Mm-hmm. Call Ash- Ashley Madison. Madison. You know, it's still up. I checked today. I think that was the first time the Super Bowl was in Houston. And that's when um, that ad first came out. And so there was a there was a Super Bowl in Houston in 2004 and one in 2017. And I, I remember but I clearly remember seeing that ad also and there was some statistic that came out later about how 
many hits, how much traffic that site got during and just after the Super Bowl, which is just so distressing. And for those who don't know what Ashley Madison is, don't go Googling it because if your partner finds out that you did, <laughs> he'll be in trouble. Um, it's a site that, that invites people who are married to have affairs. Are you bored in your marriage? Right. Are you looking for a little spice? Try an affair. <laughs> and there is something about right. that sort of, is it the secrecy that makes us feel powerful? Is it the manipulation? Is it, what, what is it that makes one feel powerful in that role of, of having an affair? Or is it, a, I mean, who knows what, there's no, probably not one answer to that. But we are drawn to these, these behaviors that give us a false sense of security or power. Um, well, as, <clears throat> as a union, I would say that what happens is that <clears throat> an unrecognized, unmet aspect of our own developing persona gets projected outward onto somebody else. And we think that we have found, if we could just take this thing into ourselves, that which would complete us. Mm -hmm. And of course, you have in the affair enough intrigue, enough secrecy, and certainly enough absolute dishonesty at every level. Those people in affairs don't present them true, their true selves to each other. This is my best self. And, you know, you don't have to go home and do the laundry kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and, and I am not, I'm not competent to speak to the feminine side of this, but men project onto women their unrecognized femininity, their anima and un unable to take it back and embrace it just on its own they they give that away to somebody else and of course i, I will tell you i've been doing uh personal counseling since a long time a long time decade and <laughs> outside yeah. of a death in a family particularly if there's been a, what we call a premature death, a murder, or a suicide. Mm -hmm. Those are the most painful psychic things anybody ever has to, to endure. Yeah. But in outside of that, the most painful psychic wound any human being ever gets is the, the wound of my partner was unfaithful to us. Well, I think it triggers probably a very small place in us of abandonment and children, albeit not always a spoken or conscious fear, but respond to the sense of being abandoned, either with tears or with cries or um, uh, in older children with disruptive behavior, but that, that primal fear of abandonment is what I think that shakes up in us. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't know, you know, I'm not schooled enough in kind of the uh, 
the union psychotherapy and he admittedly had said, I don't know that I can fully get what the female, you know, the anima and animus kind of, what, what does the female experience? What is a female projecting onto the sort of male psyche? I think he sort of just translated, well, whatever is true for the male must also be true for the female, recognizing his limitations and understanding the feminine. Yeah, that, that isn't the case. Yeah. And that one of the reasons I'm grateful for you is that you can speak to this in a way that I can't because I don't have the experience. Um, I can't talk about the sacred feminine except mm -hmm. from an intellectual point of view. Uh, I noticed early in my practice before, I think probably before being trained in any system psychology, that men and women reacted differently to the experience of their partner having an affair. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A man would say if he found out that his wife had been unfaithful to him or his intimate partner to be married. But if a man found out that his partner had been unfaithful to him, he would say, how could you do this to me? Mm -hmm. And usually the man would be out of the relationship. Mm, interesting. The woman would say she found out that the man had been unfaithful to her, she would say, how could you have done this to us? <laughs> and she would be willing to hang in there and see if they could reestablish the relationship. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, they couples would come into counseling or therapy at that point and what they wanted to hear was of course I can help you restore your relationship to its pristine romantic fullness and everything will go back to be hunky-dory just like it was and nobody mm -hmm. gets that. Mm -hmm. Well it's I mean that breach of trust is so hard to bounce back from even, you know, even in situations where, um, as you say, you know, who do we have in our lives that we can be completely truthful with when our, mm -hmm. and I am positive that there are times, um, I, I, I can't think of a specific, but I'm positive that there are times when maybe Josh or I haven't told each other the whole truth, or maybe it's, you know, that it's sort of become untamed. It's unraveled over, the course of several conversations and even that it can okay. feel a, like a threat to a relationship so when it's a whole other person well yeah. I, I i don't advocate telling your spouse the whole mm -hmm. truth now uh, because as you've heard me say before anybody who's been married for six weeks or longer knows what it's like to want to cheerfully kill their spouse. Anyone who's been a parent for, <laughs> during, <laughs> or a during parent. the pandemic. You know like <laughs> yeah. Throw your kids out yeah. the window. Yeah. I, I, I remember when I was working on my doctorate and my son had um, some creepy kind of coffee thing that was not letting him go to sleep. And I, his mother was exhausted and I was walking him at yeah. night and I was trying to study for my orals and get a doctor 
and I wanted to throw him out the window. Yeah. You know, <laughs> you can't do that. You can't do that. That's not a good. Well, thing that's to do. the space where we can be invited to speak is in that liminal space between having the thought, because we all have that that sort of primal darkness, if you will, um, that this an impulse, um, and perhaps what part of the human element is is the ability to think through the impulse to not act on the impulse. Now, many people do act on the impulse. Many people also don't. Yeah. So this, th that liminal space is what do you do between the impulse and the behavior? You didn't throw your son, but for sure, yeah. mm -hmm. you know that story about the man walking through the grocery store going, oh, it's okay, Robert, it's okay, Robert. You're gonna be okay, Robert. You're gonna be okay, Robert. And someone passes by and says, oh, that's so sweet, the way you talk to that little boy. Well, I'm not talking to him, I'm talking to me. <laughs> you know? Too much, yeah. yeah, and I think that what do we do in that liminal space between the stimulus and the behavior? And I think that is where the vast majority of spiritual work lies, is in the pause. How do we handle that pause? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So I want to go back and clarify yeah. something. When I said, I don't think it's helpful to say to your spouse everything. <laughs> Sometimes I want to tearfully kill I, you. <laughs> I do need. I, I, yeah, I, yeah, you should not say that. Uh, but it's not okay to keep destructive right. secrets and those yeah. are different those are different so that um you, you know you you have to keep the faith and in this passage that we're looking at sunday i've kind of wanted to expand it yeah to increase to include what it means to keep the faith with our fellow human beings to not divorce them to not divorce them mm -hmm. um to be in a relationship for everybody's well-being mm -hmm. how do how do we how do we make that work at a at a societal level and that's really some scholars say and not all scholars agree with this but some scholars say that is really the intent of the original collection of sayings in the Sermon on the Mount is that it gives a morality for a way of living in the empowering community. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So if we're to take this as sort of a metaphorical reading, it's not just about marriage in the sense of a literal man-man marriage, woman-woman marriage, or man-woman marriage. It's, it's, it's about our marriage to that human part of ourself and how do we maintain hope in the human community? And I want to say also, how do we also, so how do we maintain hope? How do we also have clear and healthy boundaries? You know, that it's that sort of, I, I use this phrase a lot, that autonomous and embedded nature of being human, standing in my own firm identity, while also recognizing I'm embedded in this wider humanity. I can't divorce myself from that. But how do I also stay in my body inside of that sort of community of others? Um, I also think that's that you could spend your whole life in that spiritual inquiry, right? <laughs> how do I keep myself Absolutely. among the many? And um, 
of course, so much of our behaviors around that have to do with how we were raised, how we were loved into being um, or not. Whether we grew up with alcoholics, mm-hmm. whether we grew up with abusive parents, whether we, you know, what, what, what experiences we've had definitely impact our ability to have good boundaries. But um, so it, it, maybe we zoom out and kind of say, what is a healthy marriage to our human brothers and sisters look like? <laughs> well, um... I've devoted a lot of my life to studying that particular topic and having had the desire to be in such a healthy marriage. Actually, the term that I prefer to use is a vital and vitalizing marriage. Um, Mm. There are certainly a lot of marriages that don't fit on that in that category. Okay, here's here's a way I have of answering that question, and I think it's idiosyncratic to every married person. If you were to ask me, "Hey, Bill, how's mm-hmm. your marriage?" I would say it's okay, or I might say it's terrific, or I might say um, it's been better. Now, during the time between you're asking me that question and my response, I go to a list that I have stored in my RAM, up in my brain, about the things that I think have (laughs) to be going well for me to say, my marriage is terrific. And um, it's Mm -hmm. my responsibility to share that list with the person to whom I am married and to make sure that I know what's on her list. And it's helpful that there is enough overlap in those lists that it makes sense that we travel together. I talked to a couple once years and years ago who they had an affair, left their marriages, got married. And of course it turned into misery. And the woman said to me in a therapy session, something that Mm -hmm. I thought was just so beautiful. She said, I thought we were going to Miami. He thought we were going to Seattle. And of course, with those two different destinations, you can't travel together. Yeah, there's, I think that, and, and, you know, in some ways, marriage of any kind, whether we want to speak specifically about relational marriage, or we want to speak about, um, marriage loosely to let's say a job or vocation or marriage to a, to a social order, to a society. Um, how, how many expectations we come in with, with how that's going to go. And it's a bit of a crapshoot how it's going to go. You know, there are some people who get married, I imagine don't ever say, well, we're going to get married, but in five years we're going to divorce. I can, I, I can imagine Right, that upon entering the marriage, no one thinks that that's where they're headed. And, and so there is this kind of crapshoot part of it, but I don't mean that in the random way that when you throw dice and however the dice land is how your marriage is going to go. Because there's more work, there's more intention and attention that needs to be paid to that so that, so that it goes the way that you hope that it goes when you first get married married but 
You know, I mean, that's what I think for me, the most revealing part in the early years of my marriage to Josh, and, and we're still babies. I mean, we're only 14 years in, which feels like a long time compared to three years, but not a long time compared to what I hope will turn into, how old am I? 44, let's say another, let's say I'm alive for another 40 years. Let's hope it turns into a 54 year marriage, <laughs> you know? Um, yeah. But but that the early years taught me how much I was carrying into my marriage that I didn't even know I was carrying into my marriage. You know, I was in my early thirties, things were being revealed to me. My own anxious attachment patterns were being exposed to me mm-hmm. more and more in that marriage. And we had a willingness to address them. And we did through marriage counseling, but that, um, that sort of anxiety that came in with me, it needed attending to. Um, what I wanted to say is that I've had a lot of couples come into therapy and say, well, we're going to uh, get in therapy for a while and see how our marriage goes. And I want to tell them, your marriage is not going to go anywhere. It's like going to get in your car and say, well, I'm going to sit in my car and see where it takes me. <laughs> your car will take you where you Start it up and guide it and point it. So you have to know what you want as an outcome to be able to get. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. And I guess, you know, if I were to zoom back out and go, well, what do I hope as an outcome for my participation in this human project? (laughs) Yeah. You know, uh, my, my hope is that an outcome of this human project. Our, our, our relationships go where we create an intention for them to just like our lives. Right. And uh, I got a cartoon in the email day before yesterday from Mm -hmm. Wayne Herbert. Thank you, Wayne. He sends such great things. Actually, it was not a cartoon. It was a, it was a painting in Descartes. And he said, I wonder if Descartes is going to be disappointed to learn that a lot of people who don't think still exist. <laughs> I think, therefore, I am. <laughs> or I don't. A lot of yeah. people don't think beyond uh, their evening meal, what's, what's on TV, and that's it. They lead a life that they don't examine. And that's where we started today. If you want to know yeah. what is the solution to keeping faith, mm-hmm. it is having the willingness to live an examined life. Right. For sure. And, you know, just as we sort of close up this to go back again to that sort of original point as this is hard and um, examination can be painful. It can be really painful to the point where you feel like you are split into two, maybe more pieces. And it seems like this work is all about learning how to knit those pieces back together. You know, this making a whole person. Right. Yeah. So I'll bring my knitting needles. You bring your needle and thread. We'll sew us a whole person. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we're going to put something together for this week that um, I hope accomplishes what I want, um, you know, and that is to create a context where we can flourish in such a way that hearing how just 
absolutely difficult this is, is not a turnoff for people. Yeah, I think the question that, that, that I'll sort of be leading in with this, what does it mean to want something out of this marriage to this grand human experiment? What do we want to contribute to it? And what do we hope to get out of it? Well, what we what what everybody seems to want. I had a woman, I met a woman in Turkey a number of years ago, who um, I think this is about the time that the United States is invading Iraq. And she said to me, "You know, we all want the same thing. Mm-hmm. We want to be able to make a decent living." We want to make sure that our kids can get a good education. We want to be able to enjoy our families and live in safety. It's the politicians who screw things up. Mm. You made me think of something else. I was reading an article not long ago about sort of critical feminist theory and this Western North American woman was sort of trying to take feminist ideology to indigenous folks who were poor, uh, indigenous women who were poor and not, not getting equal rights in their, in their communities. And she was talking to these group of women who were not educated, uh, in charge of the childcare, largely in charge of home, in charge of homemaking, but not really well respected within their, in their societies. And uh, one of the women responded to her, I don't care what you call it. But if it means that I can feed my baby and take a shit in the toilet, I'll, I'm in. You know, <laughs> like that's kind of it. We want to take care of those we love. We want to be able to take a shit in the toilet <laughs> and basic needs. Basic needs. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Well. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. I'll see you By on the way, Sunday. When oh, I get up okay. from here, and we're mm-hmm. recording this on a evening time, I'm going to go have dinner with, we are going to go have dinner with a cu- another couple, a couple that have been a couple longer than we have been a couple, mm-hmm. a married couple who also just happen to be gay. Mm-hmm. And so people who stereotypes about Gay and lesbian couples, just put them aside. They're not yeah. over. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. I will see you Sunday.